Good morning. I would like to rush to the message this morning. I want to read the text, whisper a word of prayer, and then talk to us about getting past the pain. First, Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Reading from the English Standard Version, here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. God, we thank you for this day, for this fresh opportunity to sit and be instructed by your word. I pray even now that you would give us open hearts and receptive minds to what it is that your spirit has to say to the church. Help us, O oh God, to take your word and to apply it to our lives for the living out of these days. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me anew and anoint me afresh. Hide me behind your cross so that you and you alone might be glorified. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, it's in the powerful and perfect name of Jesus that we pray. Thank God. Amen. Amen. Please allow me to begin this morning with an awkward confession. Here it is. I have a high tolerance for physical pain. 
Interestingly, I've discovered this about myself through several surgeries and several bouts with chronic illness. I only bring it up now because learning to live with and through pain in my physical body has brought me closer to God in my spiritual journey. In 2008, I had a major surgery. It left me with a six-inch scar on my stomach and resulted in me being homebound for 30 days, unable to preach, unable to teach, unable to attend public worship. When the surgery was over and I was released from the hospital, they prescribed some advanced strength painkillers to aid my recovery. I filled the prescription, but I refused to take the pills because the risk outweighed the rewards. Hallucinations, night sweats, and possible addiction were cause enough for me to endure the pain and pray for healing. God got me through it, and since that ordeal, I have been better equipped to respond in sensitivity to others and to offer them God's hand to guide them through times of suffering. You see, it's one thing to visit the hospital as a pastor, but it's something totally different when you're stuck laying in a bed in a hospital room yourself. I offer this personal testimony because it is a fitting escort into our text. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, Paul ministers to the church at Corinth by telling them of God's proven character, which he only learned to depend on when he suffered to the point of death. Paul says, that the pain is real, but so is God's comfort. And the only way to get past the pain is to comprehend that it directs us to God who guarantees our relief because we're in Christ. I, I thought I would preach this today because if truth be told, even now, our pews are filled with pain. People are hurting emotionally, physically, relationally, financially, and yes, even ministerially, just to name a few. But the God of all comfort, who is working everything together for our good, is too wise to waste our pain. Hear me today, friends. When I promise you that everything you're going through is designed to get you closer to God and to make you look more like Jesus, the one who suffered 
as Redeemer so that we might experience the privilege of suffering as believers. Let me rush to tell you that you can get past the pain when you embrace this core truth from our text. God's comfort is our consolation, which provides the hope needed to endure suffering. Let me rewind that and play it again. God's comfort is our consolation, which provides the hope needed to endure suffering. Be warned that failure to accept God's comfort will result in destructive hopelessness. Question on the table that I want to ask and answer is this, how must we respond to God in order to get past the pain? Paul tells us in verses 3 through 7 that in order to get past the pain, we've got to praise God for his comfort. We owe God praise because he is the source of all comfort. Paul begins this text with an apostolic invitation to praise God. He has skillfully wrapped this New Testament injunction in Old Testament foil to honor who he is both by heritage and redemption. He tells us what to do and then why. Blessed, praised, celebrated, exalted by us, be God. Why? Because he is the father of the Savior, the father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Stay with me, church. Listen, we owe God praise because of grace, mercy, and comfort. Grace, because he's God and Father of Jesus Christ. Mercy, because he is concerned with those who suffer. Comfort, because he provides special attention to those who are hurting. These are three mandatory realities realized by Paul, which invite him to rationalize that we need to react by blessing God. This perspective on God's nature is rooted in the finished work of Jesus, whose suffering ultimately and uh, whose suffering ultimately and his endurance of affliction on the cross is the reason why he now lives to abundantly comfort his people. Paul's apostolic authenticity had been called into question by his enemies. They believed his difficulties 
were a testimony against his ministry. But here, with a strategic sense of reverse psychology, Paul declares that suffering was accompanied by comfort. And that comfort revolutionized his ministry. God is the source of comfort. But Paul recognized comfort as a byproduct of God's activity in his life. He makes it plain that God had comforted him in all he went through so that he could comfort the church in any affliction they had to face. He tells the church, listen up. As I partake in gospel discomfort in abundance, I also through Christ receive comfort to match every misery. Paul says, trouble keeps sending me looking for God. And when I find him, he's always smiling in my direction. Robert Louis Stevenson tells the story of a storm that caught a vessel off the rocky coast and threatened to drive it and its passengers to destruction. In the midst of the terror and in violation of instructions, one man battled his way from the lower decks all the way up to the pilot's cockpit. He looked in as the pilot had his hand on the steering wheel to the vessel, and he was slowly turning the ship away from the rocks. He stared long enough to see the pilot's eyes, and on the pilot's face, there was a smile. He rushed back to the lower decks and made this announcement. The storm is bad, but we're going to make it because I just saw the pilot and he's got a smile on his face. <laughs> Paul says, I know why I'm hurting. It's for you. But please don't miss the point. My affliction is for your comfort, and my comfort is for your comfort, which you are guaranteed when you join in with suffering for the gospel, like I do. Finally, he tells the church that his hope is unmoved, unaltered, or unshaken, based on his previous knowledge of who God is. He knew God well enough to promise the church that if they were shareholders in suffering, they would also be shareholders in comfort. Romans 5, 3 through 5, offer us a fitting summary of Paul's hope here in the text when it says 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Yes, the pain is real. Yes, the discomfort is unavoidable. Yes, hurt happens to Christians at every level. Yes, God will provide consolation. No, we don't get to keep it to ourselves. God's comfort or God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Please, ma'am, please, sir, mature in your faith and get past the pain so that you can realize that out of your misery, God is birthing more ministry. Getting past the pain means, according to verses 3 through 7, that we praise God for his comfort. But then notice secondly and finally with me today, that getting past the pain, according to verses 8 through 11, means that we thank God for his deliverance. You see, we owe God thanks because he is the resource of our deliverance. Now Paul says, church, can I be fully transparent with you? I've given you the positive principle that God is a comforter and so are the godly. But now, let me offer you my negative example of just how bad things got in order for me to find this out. C.S. Lewis says, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Now he speaks vaguely of his affliction in Asia. It is presumed that the church knew exactly this reference, while you and I are simply left to speculate based on Scripture's details about all of Paul's difficulties. Paul's ordeal was so fierce that he reached the end of himself. Things got so bad that he felt like a judge had given him the death penalty. Both physically and spiritually, he was burdened beyond his own strength and he despaired 
over life itself. He literally tells us that this incursion was so aggressive that he thought his life was over. But God, God was superintending Paul's pain in order to perfect Paul's dependence. In Asia, he learned that God who raises the dead can deliver those who are on death row. Let me help you see it. Watchman Nee tells an interesting story about his time in China. They had some meager living quarters with insufficient plumbing. And so the 20 people that were missionaries with him would go down to a little lake every day to swim and to wash up. One day, while they were at lakeside swimming and bathing themselves, one of the swimmers caught a cramp and began to drown. Knee motioned to the man who was the best swimmer in their group and the man didn't move. He stood there as this guy began bobbing up and down, gasping for air and fighting for his life. Not until he began to sink for what looked to be the final time that this skilled swimmer into the water grab the drowning man and pull him back to safety. Watchman Nee was outraged. He began to question the swimmer about why he waited so long to save this man who was dying. And the swimmer told him that if I grabbed him too soon, he would have pulled both of us down. I tell that story because it could be that God is standing on the shore of your life, waiting for you to stop fighting your drowning so that when you give up, he will step in. Here's the bottom line, brothers and sisters. You have to die to self in order to live for God. Every disappointment is God killing you. Every betrayal is God killing you. Every misunderstanding is God killing you. Every failed effort is God killing you so that you will believe and know that it is him keeping you in ministry. Not your gifts, not your intellect, not your charisma, or your support system. It is God who makes us die and then causes us to live again. Here, Paul is 
on the other side of disaster with a thankful testimony of continued deliverance. He, God, delivered me, Paul, from a deadly peril, and I believe he'll do it again. Look at this powerful statement of God's delivering capacity. Paul now offers us insight into divine deliverance by using all three verb tenses to describe God's activity in his life. He delivered us in the past. He will deliver us in the present. He will deliver us again in the future. Paul said, in fact, this is the basis of my hopefulness. In verse 7, Paul uses the noun form for hope. But here in verse 10, he uses the verb. So it translates, we have hoped in God, and we will continue to hope in God. Please don't miss the lesson of verse 11. There is a delight in answered prayer that is exclusively available for those who offer prayer. Get this. God desired to deliver Paul. But because they prayed for what God already wanted to do, when it happened, they had a new reason to rejoice. Here it is. When you participate in prayer, God will let you delight in what he's doing. Hear me, church. You can't always help your pastor with his problems. But you can't always pray for him that God will. And when he does, you can rejoice with your leader and everyone else that has been calling God on his behalf. Prayer requests always lead to praise reports. God delivers us so that we can learn to depend on him. Get that, church? God comforts us so that we can comfort others. And then God delivers us so that we can learn to depend on him. You've fallen short of what God is trying to teach you. When trouble comes and you look in any direction but up, you know when trouble comes, we check our contact list. When trouble comes, we think through who's in our family. 
when trouble comes, we try to figure out who we know that might have an inroad to our resolution. But when trouble comes, because of what God has already done, the first place you ought to look is up in prayer. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, we are reminded through Paul's words here that God is the ultimate source of comfort in our times of suffering. He is compassionate, faithful, and delivers us from our trials. As we face various challenges in life, let us hold on to the assurance that God's comfort is available to us. May we also be encouraged to extend the same comfort to others who are in need. Let us pray fervently, trusting in God's power to bring deliverance and restoration. And may we find solace in his faithfulness and draw strength from his presence in order to get past the pain. God counterbalances our suffering with his comfort because we're in Christ. Oh, that's good news. Paul says that it wasn't until I thought that I was going to die that I remembered that I work for the God who raises the dead, that, that, that I was on the team for the same God who got a dead Jesus up early on Sunday morning. I am connected in union with the same Christ who stepped out on resurrection soil and said all power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation. I've been purchased by God, filled with his spirit, and washed in his blood.